So on Sunday, an active duty Air Force member set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. to protest the war in Gaza. And this, of course, has unlocked all of the worst hordes of the Internet who have decided that apparently this member of the Air Force, who is a disturbed anarchist, was some sort of hero. And that has some really bad implications for politics and for morality and for virtue. So let's start with the simple facts in this particular case. The person's name was Aaron Bushnell. Aaron Bushnell was 25 years old, and he was, in fact, a disturbed anarchist. How do we know that he was an anarchist? Well, because he said so. So first of all, this should raise some serious questions about how we actually screen for the American military. And the simple fact of the matter is that the standards for the American military have been dropping pretty radically. This guy was an IT specialist, and he'd been in the military for several years. And he was, in fact, an active anarchist. Now, you know that the military has been targeting so-called white supremacy in the military. If you're a conservative in the military and you're open about it, that may call into question your loyalty to the U.S. military. But apparently, you can be a radical anarchist publicly, and that has no implications whatsoever for your military service. Apparently, you can also be a disturbed person because it turns out you have to be kind of disturbed to set yourself literally on fire in front of the Israeli embassy to protest a non-existent genocide, which is what this person did. So... According to the Washington Post, quote, less than two weeks before Aaron Bushnell walked toward the gates of the Israeli embassy on Sunday, he and a friend talked by phone about their shared identities as anarchists and what kinds of risks and sacrifices were needed to be effective. Bushnell mentioned nothing violent or self-sacrificial. Then on Sunday, Bushnell texted that friend who described the exchange on the condition of anonymity to protect his safety. Quote, I hope you'll understand. I love you. This doesn't even make sense, but I feel like I'm going to miss you. And then he sent a friend a copy of his will on Sunday in which he gave his cat to his neighbor and a fridge full of root beers to his friend. And then 12 minutes later, he doused himself with liquid and set himself on fire while shouting free Palestine. He died seven hours later at a hospital. Now, what's amazing about all of this, and we, we know his past, we know that he was raised apparently on a cult religious compound. We, we know that he fell out of that cult, apparently. And then he immediately went into the military and started associating with radical groups, radical anarchist groups. According, again, to the Washington Post, Lupe Barboza, 32, said she met Bushnell in San Antonio in 2022 at an event for a socialist organization. She said they bonded over their politics and started working together to deliver clothing and food to people experiencing homelessness. He was outraged. He knew no one who was in charge of listening to the protesters out there every week, Barboza said. He knows that he has a privilege as a white man and a member of the military. And in fact, in the public statement, that he released to the media before committing suicide by burning himself to death. This person included, for example, his pronouns in his suicide note. The final post of Aaron Bushnell said, quote, many of us like to ask ourselves, what would I do if I was alive during slavery or the Jim Crow South or apartheid? What would I do if my country was committing genocide? The answer is you're doing it right now. Big anarchist symbol. And so this person is a, a far leftist and not just a far leftist, but a disturbed far leftist because there are lots of people who are far left who do not set themselves on fire actually. And when he says in his suicide note, in his final note, that he was, quote unquote, complicit in genocide, the question would be exactly how, considering the United States Air Force is not even involved in the war in the Gaza Strip. Not only that, there is not a genocide in the Gaza Strip. I know that it has become commonplace for morons in the media to suggest that a targeted operation by the Israelis in the Gaza Strip that has killed, according to the Israelis, upwards of 10,000 members of Hamas who are hiding among civilians, that that is somehow an example of a genocide, but I can assure you that is definitionally wrong. Israel has complete air superiority for the 1,000th time in the Gaza Strip. If Israel wished to kill hundreds of thousands of people, Israel certainly has the air power to do so. Israel has not done that. In fact, 
I know multiple members of the military who've been injured in Israel going door to door in order to prevent civilian casualties in highly populated areas in which terrorists are extremely popular. Bushnell sent a note to one of these Antifa violent extremist propaganda sites called Crime Think. And that note said, quote, today I am planning to engage in an extreme act of protest against the genocide of the Palestinian people. The below links should take you to a live stream and recording recorded footage of that event, which will be highly disturbing. I ask that you make sure the footage is preserved and reported on. And apparently that group then said that they consulted his Twitch account. The username displayed was Lily Anarchity, which again, sounds like a, a totally standard rational person. The user icon was the Circle A, which of course is the anarchist movement. And in the video, Aaron begins by introducing himself. Quote, my name is Aaron Bushnell. I'm an active duty member of the U.S. Air Force. I will no longer be complicit in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest. But compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. Well, no, actually, it turns out that setting yourself on fire in the middle of the United States is pretty extreme. It says this is what our ruling class has decided will be normal. Well, no, again, that is a lie. And then. He says, if your heart is broken by the horrors in Gaza and you are prepared to bear significant consequences to try to stop them, we urge you to do everything in your power to find comrades and make plans collectively. Lay the foundations for a full life of resistance to colonialism and all forms of oppression. That is what the, the group says. And then they acknowledge that the person sent he, him in his byline on all of this. So the left has decided that this person is not a disturbed anarchist. This person is actually a hero. Many people on the left have decided that he is, in fact, a hero for for foolishly and tragically killing himself in the most horrific possible way, predicated on a complete lie that actually helped a genocidal terrorist group, as it turns out. So the left has decided that this is an act of true heroism. And, and this is like major names who are doing this sort of stuff. So for example, Jill Stein put out a tweet saying, rest in power, Aaron Bushnell. May his sacrifice deepen our commitment to stop genocide now. Just personal belief. You should not celebrate disturbed people burning themselves alive on the street in order to protest a non-existent genocide. You should not do that. That is a terrible thing to do. We'll get to more on that in just one moment. First, free. You know that, that word? It should mean free, which is why when you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that is built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks monthly for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, plus mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. Pure Talk saves the average family almost $1,000 a year. Plus, with Pure Talk, you know you're spending your hard-earned money with a company that aligns with your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Head on over to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company of excellent coverage. That coverage has been getting me through the day for the last couple of years. They're awesome. They don't hate you. So what do you have to lose? Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch over today. Cornell West doing the same thing. By the way, I noticed that if they think this is the highest form of virtue, they're not setting themselves on fire. They're getting disturbed people to set themselves on fire, apparently. Cornell West tweeted out, let us never forget the extraordinary courage and commitment of Brother Aaron Bushnell, who died for truth and justice. I pray for his precious loved ones. Let us rededicate ourselves to genuine solidarity with Palestinians undergoing genocidal attacks in real time. And then Bernie Sanders put out a statement, of course. Bernie Sanders, of course, who, who likes to cite his, uh, his birth as a Jew as some sort of excuse for his idiocy. but. He, uh, he put out a statement suggesting solidarity 
He said, it's obviously a terrible tragedy, but I think it speaks to the depths of despair that so many people are feeling now about the horrific humanitarian disaster taking place in Gaza. I share those deep concerns. The United States has got to stand up. Okay, so there are a couple of things that, that all of this reveals. Okay, the first thing that all of this reveals is that there is, in fact, a tendency among radicals in politics to suggest that the real problem with radical and terrible acts, and burning yourself alive is a radical and terrible act. It is a bad thing to do. Just on a raw level, disturb people burning themselves alive, terrible thing to do. But there is a suggestion, and this extends to all sorts of crime against yourself and others, because I don't think that you actually have a right to kill yourself. The the basic idea is that radical acts suddenly become good if you agree with the motivation. That really is just overzealousness. When people riot and they burn things, that's really an overzealous commitment to the cause. And that's the language that you're hearing here. Well, Aaron Bushnell may have been overzealous, but he was speaking on behalf of a good cause. That, of course, suggests that what they're doing is actually quite virtuous because they're so overzealous. They're so passionate about it that they have to do this terrible thing, which, of course, incentivizes people who are disturbed to do terrible things. That is not a good thing. That is a very bad thing. In any coherent and cohesive society, you don't want to incentivize people to take terrible acts or praise people for participating in terrible acts because they were just so they were so overzealous. He was too good. He was too he was too overzealous, too, too virtuous. OK, so that's number one. Number two. Victimizing yourself is not insurance against being called foolish. It is foolish to burn yourself alive on behalf of a cause that is terrible. That is a foolish and bad thing to do. It, there are two problems here. One is the, burn, the the act itself, which is inherently terrible, horrible for his family, horrible for his friends, obviously horrible for him. That's awful and tragic. And, and the celebration of people who are mentally ill doing this sort of stuff, disturbed doing this sort of stuff is beyond, like, that's sympathy, that's compassion. How? Explain. Okay. But that's, that's number one. Number two, there's this tendency among people who are defenders of what happened here to suggest that if you point out that Aaron Bushnell happened to be wrong on the merits, that this is somehow being disrespectful to, to Aaron Bushnell or not, not acknowledging the tragedy of his death. Self-victimization is a tragedy, no question. It is also a tragedy, as the name might suggest, that is directed against yourself. It is terrible and it is bad and it does not relieve you of the moral culpability for engaging in a bad act on behalf of a terrible cause. And let us be clear right now, when it comes to the Gaza Strip, Israel is engaged in an attempt to extirpate an actual, honest to God, horrific terror group that committed the worst terrorist atrocity since World War II, effectively speaking, if you're talking about percentage of the population and certainly since 9-11 in the West. The attempt to extirpate that group in a highly populous area with heavy levels of civilian sympathy for the cause of the terrorists means that Israel is putting people in harm's way on a regular basis, going street to street and house to house. The fact that so many people on the left are committed to the belief, obviously, this sort of Franz Fanon belief that any sort of violent radical action is justified in pursuit of, quote, decolonialization, and that therefore any response to that is an act of genocide and evil, that is a lie and it's wrong. And somebody doing something terrible to themselves based on that lie does not mean that the lie isn't a lie. It is still a lie, and it is still an act of foolishness. The tragedy of Aaron Bushnell does not obscure the fact that he happened to be wrong on the merits. And that sort of defense mechanism that you see out there, oh my gosh, that, that, oh, well, how could you say that? No, he was, he was wrong. And the fact that he was wrong 
means that we should not, in fact, glorify his actions for a wide variety of reasons. We shouldn't glorify the cause that he was speaking on behalf of because it happens to be morally imbecilic. And then you also should not glorify the act itself because the act itself is a bad act. Burning yourself alive is a bad thing to do. The fact that our society fails to see this is is amazing. It also speaks to a, a society that is deeply in need of some God. Because as we see, this, this sort of attempt to create heroism out of foolishness is amazing. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable. But unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that they count toward you know, what you should be eating. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on balance of nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience balance of nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. Vulture has a piece today about a person named Victor Cazares who apparently is a playwright. And um, on December 1st, instead of taking their daily dose of the HIV medication Devada, you know where this is going. As soon as you say their daily dose, you know where this is going. The playwright Victor Cazares filmed an Instagram video of the pill's funeral. They burned the small white tablet on a miniature pyre inside a geode their grandparents had brought from El Apache, a mountain in Chihuahua, Mexico, across the border from their hometown of El Paso, Texas. They gave their second pill a burial with the flower on top of their parents' backyard. The third received a drop of Cazares' own blood, while Lucia's Mendez's Amor Dinadi, the theme song of their favorite telenovela growing up, played as the soundtrack. They're planning to do a final video in which their last four pills get kidnapped by Pilgrim Barbie and turned to dust. It has been almost three months since Cazares last took their meds, a strike they say will continue until the New York Theater Workshop calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. This is sort of performative idiocy that we now see on parts of the radical left. That if this... I guess, non-binary HIV positive person doesn't take his HIV pills until the local theater group condemns what's going on in Gaza. Somehow this is going to make the world a better place. Foolishness remains foolish, no matter how dedicated you are to the foolishness. The fact that this stuff is being given widespread media credibility speaks to why so many people engage in it, by the way. I mean, why not? You're doing it for the attention. You're doing it for the credit. You're doing it because you have engaged in this far-left pseudo-sacrifice if you're talking about Kazaras. In the case of Bushnell, he was sacrificing something. It just happens to be a sacrifice on behalf of a terrible cause and, um, and a sacrifice that actually is an act of wrong. It is a wrong to burn yourself alive. Again, why this has to be said over and over is beyond me, but that's where we are as a civilization. Yes, it is wrong to burn yourself alive to promote a lie. That's a wrong thing to do. It's tragic and also wrong. But in order to understand all this, what you really have to understand is the incentive structure that has now been created. And that is that the media will cover you the way you want to be covered if you happen to have the right political precepts. If you are on the far left, the media will cover you as though you are a hero. So if you're Ashley Babbitt, an American military veteran who gets shot to death in the Capitol building, well, 
protesting slash rioting over the election, then the media will treat you as though you totally deserve to get shot. You, you in fact, are a fool. You're a fool and it's your fault that you got shot and you were engaged in a violent act and you're stupid and you deserved it. That's according to the media. If you're Ashley Babbitt. If you're Aaron Bushnell, you are an, you're an icon of military service who is a martyr to correct causes. Because, again, that's the media narrative. And the media narrative rules above all. And you should understand that right now, the media is not ruled by people who are sort of mainstream, mainline Democrat liberals from 40 years ago. Those people all got asked and destroyed. The legacy media that decides the narrative in cases like this, that legacy media is dedicated to absolute radicalism. There's an amazing piece by a person named Adam Rubenstein who worked at the New York Times over at The Atlantic. And he talks about how he was hired to work at the op-ed page, and then he was basically destroyed for it. The beginning of his story tells you what you need to know about the political culture that has been created in our media. And our media, of course, then create the incentive structure for people in the public. So here is what he says in The Atlantic, quote, on one of my first days at The New York Times, I went to an orientation with more than a dozen other new hires. We had to do an icebreaker, pick a starburst out of a jar and then answer a question. My starburst was pink, I believe. And so I had to answer the pink prompt, which had me respond to my favorite sandwich. Russ and daughter's super heapster came to mind, but I figured mentioning a $19 sandwich wasn't a great way to win new friends. So I blurted out the spicy chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A and considered the ice broken. The HR representative leading the orientation chided me. We don't do that here. They hate gay people. People started snapping their fingers in acclamation. I hadn't been thinking about the fact that Chick-fil-A was transgressive in liberal circles or its chairman's opposition to gay marriage. Not the politics, the chicken, I quickly said, but it was too late. I sat down ashamed. And that is the environment in newsrooms all across America. First of all, it, there are so many layers to this particular idiocy onion. And it's an onion of idiocy. You get, like you remove one layer, there's another layer. Start with the fact that Chick-fil-A is a chicken sandwich company and that the founder's perspectives have no bearing on whether Chick-fil-A will, for example, serve gay people who walk into Chick-fil-A. Spoiler alert, they will. Never mind the fact that saying that you like a sandwich from a company with whose founder you disagree says nothing about your feelings about the founder of that company. I like lots of products from companies where I wildly disagree with the founder. I use an Apple computer. Does that mean I agree with Steve Jobs politically? That's ridiculous. And then add on to that the fact that everybody in the newsroom starts with the silly snappy fingers thing. Okay, that is a college meme. Okay, no one in the real world even knows what the hell you're doing. If you were in a room anywhere in America and people started snapping their fingers in approval and acclamation, no one would know what you were doing unless they were all gender studies majors at Brown. But that's who staffs our media. And because they staff our media, they create the narrative. And because they create the narrative, they create the incentive structure. So you wonder why people are getting more radical. You wonder why people are suddenly finding it interesting to treat as a martyr, to start people burning themselves alive for far left causes like, say, Hamas, that would be the reason. Because that incentive structure has been promoted by the biggest institutions in our society. Now, meanwhile, speaking of the conflict in the Gaza Strip, the Biden administration, as always, wants to have it both ways. The biggest problem with the Biden administration when it comes to foreign policy is always and forever, Joe Biden cannot make up his mind. Joe Biden is pathologically incapable of taking clear positions on any issue anywhere. This is true from Ukraine or he has not made clear exactly what his end goal is, or whether he's going to slow walk the aid, or what kind of aid he wants to give. He's not made clear what the war is for. He says it's for democracy, but that sort of Wilsonian language is almost always empty. 
You have to explain in real politic terms why exactly it's in America's interest to be involved. By the way, I think there are very strong real politic reasons that I've articulated on the show repeatedly why America ought to be funding Ukraine to prevent the takeover of Kiev by the Russians. But Biden has never articulated those reasons. He doesn't find it necessary. When it comes to Israel, Biden is doing the same thing. He's trying to split the baby. And the reason he's trying to split the baby is because he understands that overwhelmingly the American public does not like Hamas and is pro-Israel. And on the other hand, he has a radical wing, particularly the young people in his party, the snappy fingers crowd, who are very into people burning themselves alive in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. And so Joe Biden is trying to split the baby here by trying to get to an off-ramp that does not exist. That off-ramp is some sort of negotiated settlement with Hamas. Israel, of course, has no interest in a negotiated settlement with Hamas. What Biden is trying to do is he's trying to cram down some form of ceasefire that he hopes will turn into a permanent ceasefire between Israel and Hamas and thus, quote unquote, end the war. Well, unless Hamas is willing to surrender and go into exile, for example, that is not going to happen. What's even more amazing is that Joe Biden reveals the internals of actual foreign policy negotiations while eating ice cream with Seth Meyers. You wonder why Joe Biden is unpopular? This would be one of the reasons. He's an incompetent boob. Who spills the internal negotiations of complex foreign policy decisions involving literal human hostages, including American citizens, sitting in captivity while eating ice cream on Seth Meyers? Who does that? That's insane. I mean, encroaching senility, it's encroached a little too much. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, we all know the first thing we do when we get home from work is change out of those work clothes and Jump into loungewear. Well, luckily for me, I have Tommy John to come home to as I slip into my Tommy John loungewear set. I'm immediately enveloped in a cocoon of supreme softness and unparalleled comfort. Not only is their loungewear cozy enough to use as sleepwear, well, if I have to walk to the park with my kids, I don't look like a schlub. And guys, you might be wondering how these things can get any better. Their underwear is the best. I've been talking about this for years. If you haven't tried them, you're missing out. I took all the other underwear I had. I threw them out. I only wear Tommy John's. Tommy John's stylish and soft second skin underwear has dozens of comfort innovations, like a supportable contour pouch, a breathable light wick, moisture wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. Plus, Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee protects your most valuable assets. So what exactly are you waiting for? Try Tommy John today. You can thank me later. For silky soft comfort with sophisticated style, check out Tommy John's luxurious second skin limited edition colors right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. They're going fast, so hurry to TommyJohn.com slash Ben. So here he was hanging out with a very old looking Seth Meyers here, um, eating ice cream and talking about the Gaza war. He's not out of touch at all, folks. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start, sir? Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Okay, first rule of negotiations, shut the f*** up. I mean, seriously, that is the first rule of negotiations. Be quiet. Why are you broadcasting out loud the conversation? especially when it's not true. Now, again, he wants to play it both ways because on the one hand, he wants to show that he is supportive of Israel because the American public is supportive of Israel. And so is, by the way, the majority of the Democratic Party. And he also wants to show that he hears the concerns of his wild left-wing base. And so what he's attempting to do is also wish cast. So there are two wish casts that Joe Biden does when it comes to the Middle East. Wish cast number one is to suggest that the war on Israel's part is somehow the reflection of the quote-unquote extreme government. That is a lie. They have a wartime cabinet. So he goes on Seth Meyers and he says, well, I don't know. Israel might be losing the credibility, the moral legitimacy because of their extreme government. Here was Seth Meyers trying to blame Israel's government for the ongoing war and saying that it's extreme. 
It's a wartime government. Benny Gantz is not a right winger. Benny Gantz is in the war cabinet. Is a unity government. I've said this a thousand times. You have to be either ignorant about the workings of Israeli government or deliberately lying in order to come to the conclusion that Itamar Ben-Gavir, who's the interior minister, who has very little power in Israel right now, that Itamar Ben-Gavir is in charge of the levers of power in this war. Not true, but he's going to say that anyway, because again, he's trying to establish moral equivalence between Israel and its enemies. And in the meantime, there are too many innocent people that are being killed. And uh, Israel has slowed down the attacks in Rafah. They have to, and they've made a commitment to me, they're going to see to it that there's ability to evacuate significant portions of Rafah before they go and take out the remainder of Hamas. But, it, but it's a process. And look, Israel has had the overwhelming support of the vast majority of nations. If it keeps this up without this incredibly conservative government they have, and Ben Gavir and others, most, I've known every major foreign policy leader in Israel since Golda Meir, they're going to lose support from around the world. And that is not in Israel's interest. Okay, th- again, the attempt to blame Israel's war strategy on Itamar Ben-Gavir is totally crazy. Israel is currently governed by a war cabinet. Ben-Gavir is not a member of the war cabinet. The war cabinet is Bibi Netanyahu, the elected prime minister of Israel. You have Galant, the minister of defense, and Benny Gantz, the leader of the opposition. There are two other observers. One is Gadi Eisenkot, who's a member of Benny Gantz's party and whose son was killed in Gaza already. And Ron Dermer, who's a longtime foreign policy expert who works with Bibi. So he's just lying. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lie. But again, so there are two lies that are being told. Lie number one is that the war is a reflection in Israel of a right-wing view. That is not true. There is widespread support in Israel for extirpating Hamas because no one in Israel is willing to live underground two weeks a year awaiting the next burst through the border in which 1,200 Israeli citizens are murdered and 240 are taken captive in, in the Gaza Strip. Okay, line number two that, that Biden has been promoting is the lie that the Palestinian people are, are, are completely non-supportive of Hamas and that therefore all Israel has to do is grant some sort of legitimacy to a Palestinian government and magically peace will bloom. That is a lie. It is a total and complete lie. Not only is there no data to support it, all the data is the other way. 75 to 80% of Palestinians in the West Bank support Hamas and in excess of that support the October 7th terrorist attacks. In the Gaza Strip, a majority still support Hamas, despite the fact that they've been bombed out of the places that they live because of Hamas's activity. And Hamas is stealing their humanitarian aid. Hamas is still the most popular party, more so than the Palestinian Authority. So what Biden is trying to do now is wish cast into existence an end to this conflict. And so he's saying, oh, we're really, really close. Well, are they? Because according to the Israeli officials who are involved in the negotiations, they're saying that there's not necessarily a cause for optimism. Apparently, the delegation says there are telephone calls all the time, but Hamas has been rejecting pretty much every proposal put on the table because every proposal says you guys need to surrender and leave. So again, there's a possibility of a ceasefire, but even if Israel were to sign off on a ceasefire, Israel is not going to leave Hamas in place. So what exactly is Biden's plan? Biden's plan is to lie. Okay, and that, that is the plan for large parts of the West is to lie about the nature of the new Palestinian government. So what they're going to say, it's amazing that they think they can get away with this or that Israel will go along with it. No Israeli government that goes along with this, left, right, or center is going to be the government for very long. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, 
Not only do blinds enhance the aesthetic appeal of your home, they also offer practical benefits. By effectively blocking out harmful UV rays, they help protect your furniture and flooring from fading, ensuring your interiors retain their beauty for years to come. Their insulating properties help regulate the temperature inside your home, keeping it comfortable year-round while potentially reducing your energy bills. With over 40,000 five-star reviews, Blinds.com is the number one online retailer of custom window coverings. You can measure and install them yourself or have Blinds.com send local professionals to take care of the installation for you. There's no showroom, no retail markets, no matter how many order installation is just one low cost. And if you don't have an eye for design, Blinds.com experts are always available to help choose the style and color right for you. Everything they sell is covered by their perfect fit and 100% satisfaction guarantee. With hundreds of styles and colors to choose from, Blinds.com is sure to have the perfect treatments for your windows. Shop Blinds.com's anniversary sale right now through March 13th for up to 50% off. Again, save up to 50% off for limited time at Blinds.com. And when you check out, don't forget to tell them you heard about them at The Ben Shapiro Show. Rules and restrictions may apply. So... Over the course of the last couple of days, the government of the Palestinian Authority resigned. Not Mahmoud Abbas, the actual dictator, but the rest of the Palestinian Authority government, their fake legislature and such. I say fake because they haven't had an election since like 2006. In any case, the Palestinian Authority government resigned, and the Wall Street Journal called this an early step toward the overhauls the U.S. and Middle Eastern powers see as a condition for the body to take charge of Gaza after the war. So again, this has been a shtick that Biden has been pushing is the idea that post-war, the Palestinian Authority will govern Gaza. There's only one problem. The Palestinian Authority is unpopular and has no power and has no ability to govern Gaza. So what exactly will that mean? Well, it turns out that the Wall Street Journal lets the cat out of the bag. What exactly is happening here? It turns out that what's actually happening here is that the Palestinian Authority government resigned so as to make way for a new Palestinian Authority government. What exactly would that new government look like? Well, apparently, Abbas has told Arab and U.S. officials he is working on forming a new government with Mohammed Mustafa, a former Palestinian economy minister and World Bank executive, as the likely candidate for prime minister. But what would happen? In reality, Hamas would simply, quote unquote, disband and form the new government. So all the top members of Hamas would simply call themselves not Hamas anymore and then just enter the government, quote, one plan for post-war Gaza being formulated by five Arab states could see the Islamist Hamas movement being folded into the widely secular PLO, ending the years-long split between Palestinian factions. Apparently, Hamas said that its political leader, Ismail Haniyeh, met with the Qatari emir, Tamim ben Hamad al-Thani, in Doha on Monday to discuss routes to end the war in Gaza and the Organization of Palestinian Affairs. Senior members of Fatah, the ruling party of the Palestinian Authority, are still seeking reconciliation with Hamas. So in other words, Joe Biden's plan for Israel to quote-unquote defeat Hamas involves Hamas becoming the new government, not just of the Gaza Strip, but also of the West Bank. You think Israel's going to go along with that? They'd have to be out of their minds to go along with that. Not only that, apparently Israeli officials believe that they are very close to finding and killing Yahya Sinwar, who is the leader of Hamas, who is still hiding in these tunnels beneath Gaza. So they're still trying to to find him, but apparently they are closing in on him. And should Israel stop, that's going to be a problem for them. One of the most astonishing things about the current discussions with regard to the ceasefire is that the Americans and the Arabs are suggesting that what has to happen here is a ceasefire before Ramadan, because after all, Israel has to have respect for the Islamic holiday of Ramadan, the month-long Ramadan holiday. Because Jewish holidays have routinely been respected by Islamic terror groups, like, for example, Simchat Torah, which is the exact date of the October 7th massacre, or say, Yom Kippur, which was the launch of the, you know, Yom Kippur War. Astonishing how religious respect only supposed to, only apparently applies one way. 
Okay, and all of this confusion from Joe Biden, these mixed signals that Israel should be able to defend itself, but also, can we have Hamas as part of the new government? And also, they're really being mean to the civilians. And also, all of that sort of confusion is just one reason why Joe Biden remains deeply unpopular as president. No one knows what the hell any this guy stands for, except that they don't like it. And all attempts to rehabilitate him are failing. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, we have a great deal here at Daily Wire Plus. The deal is a simple one. 30% off your Daily Wire Plus annual membership using code GW30 at checkout. That Daily Wire Plus membership is your exclusive backstage pass to engaging conversations with the smartest, most trusted talent in the country. It is your front row seat to the Daily Wire's upcoming hit movies and series like The Pen Dragon Cycle and Mr. Burcham. It's your inside access to ad-free, uncensored news and opinions that truly matter to you. Join right now before the sale is over. This is your last chance to experience it all and more for 30% off during our President's Day sale. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code DW30 at checkout. Okay, meanwhile, because Joe Biden is such a terrible president, this means that all attempts to rehab him on the basis of personality are very likely to fail. He does not have the charisma of, say, a Barack Obama. That was in painful display on Seth Meyers last night. So Seth Meyers is doing his best to try to massage Joe Biden back into some form of lifelike behavior, and he is failing dramatically. So last night, for example, Meyers had him doing the dark brands in me by wearing sunglasses. I'm sorry, an old man eating ice cream and wearing sunglasses just looks like weekend at Bernie's. He legit with, with the sunglasses, he now looks like a non-animated corpse being wheeled around on comedy shows. It, it's it's pretty incredible. Here we go. There's something that I've been very it just speaks to the era we live in now. There's a dark brand and conspiracy meme. And uh, this is something that you seem uh, to have a lot of fun with. You've co-opted. <laughs> You've co-opted dark Brandon. This is a, a yard sign. And uh, do you enjoy playing around with the dark brand um, uh, meme? No, I resent the hell out of it. Okay. <laughs> I love that that he can't even do the joke right. He has to like put on the glasses twice because he doesn't know where his eyeballs are anymore. Like, oh, I, 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 I resent the hell out of it. Oh, missed my head with the sunglasses. Well, gonna come back around. Oh, <laughs> and then he lost his train of thought in the middle of the interview, which of course is pure Joe Biden. That dude is no longer with us. And uh, but I think everything everything we've gotten done, he's just friendly stated he wants to do away with if he gets elected. And I really think his views on where to take America are older than, anyway, I don't want to get Anyway. And the crowd laughs because they're trying to bail him out. Anyway, I don't want to even get into that again. Was any of that English? Well, I mean, I can tell you something that wasn't English. Here's another clip of Joe Biden yesterday in which he lapses into some sort of prehistoric Ur language. No, legitimately no clue what he's attempting to say here. But he is bucking all conventions of traditional language. So I guess that he perhaps there are aliens who one day in the future will show up and realize what he's saying. But they, they do not live among us now. And, you know, uh, stand here in front of this portrait, of the man behind me here. He uh, he said, and I want to make sure I get the quote exactly right. He said, the better angel, he said, we must address the council and address the better angels of our nature. And we do, and we do well to remember what else he said. He said we're not enemies, but we're friends. It's the middle. It's in the in the part of the Civil War. He said we're not enemies, but we're friends. We must not be enemies, folks. And I've been around. I know I don't look it. I've been around a long while. <laughs> and uh, 
I mean this sincerely. We've gotten politics has gotten too bitter. Oh, uh, ah, uh. hey, well, I think that things may be be coming to a crashing halt for Joe Biden. I don't mean that he's not going to be president like tomorrow. You know, we all pray for the health of the president of the United States because he's still the president of the United States. Nobody wants anything bad to happen to him. I will say that the knives are out for him on his own side of the aisle. Jill Abramson is a former executive editor of The New York Times. And a story that really is not very important, but is kind of. She is now basically suggesting that Joe Biden is to blame for the behavior of of his dogs. There's an entire piece at The Washington Post titled, Don't Blame Biden's Dogs for the Blood on the White House Floor. And the entire piece is about how the Bidens are responsible for the fact that they have a bunch of dogs that bite people. The reason that this is important is only because if you have any sense of, of political history, a few election cycles ago, 2012, the Democrats made the claim that Mitt Romney was a very bad man because he had put a dog crate on top of his car when he was traveling, that he was mean to his dogs. And this became one of the memes of the campaign was that Mitt Romney was a bad, evil, mean man. And that was the theme is that as a character, this is a character flaw in Mitt Romney, the Mitt Romney, the most milquetoast human being ever to walk the earth, dull as ditch water, Mitt, Mitt Romney, that that guy was somehow a cruelty to animals, torturing puppies in his backyard guy. Well, when Democrats start saying that sort of stuff about Joe Biden, that's an indicator they do not actually like him as a person. That is a big problem for Joe Biden. So again, she has this entire, this entire piece in which she says, the relatively spotless record of pets in the White House was stained last week by shocking details in more than 400 pages of U.S. Secret Service documents detailing a spate of violent attacks, one of which left enough blood on the floor, a White House tour had to be interrupted while it was cleaned off. Who was responsible for the savagery? Commander the German shepherd owned by President Biden and his family. The dog was responsible for at least two dozen separate biting attacks on Secret Service agents over the course of a year ending last October when Commander was finally exiled from the White House. And she goes through all of the details and she talks about how terrible the dogs were behaving. And she says, I'm a credentialed dog lover and first approached these documents with empathy for the Bidens and deep sympathy for the bitten agents. However, she says, I can't really keep up that empathy. She says, As I waded through the gory details of all these biting incidents, my empathy for the Bidens faded. Put plainly, these documents are a harrowing narrative of pet ownership in high places run dangerously amok. At some point, the trouble is not the animals, it's the owners. Now, again, you might think that that's a silly example. I frankly think it might be a silly example. But I will say that when you start to have the left turn on you as a matter of character, like you're bad to your dogs, that speaks to the lack of enthusiasm for Joe Biden. If Joe Biden has a massive enthusiasm gap, this election starts to look a lot like 2016. And that's exactly what you are seeing right now, by the way. According to the brand new Harvard-Harris Caps poll, Donald Trump's approval rating is now in positive territory. Joe Biden's approval rating is now underwater by 11 points. These poll numbers are disastrous for Joe Biden. According to this Harvard-Harris poll, 58% of Americans say that the economy is weak. Only 42% say strong. Seven in 10 voters say the U.S. will be in a recession now or is already in a recession. Biden's approval is underwater, like in a major, major way. His approval rating right now is stuck at 45%. His perception of handling on key issues is underwater. That is particularly true with regard to immigration, where he has a 35% approval rating. On the Israel-Hamas matter, where he's at 38% approval rating. Seven in 10 voters say that inflation is here to stay. A majority of voters now say that they approve of the job that Trump did as president. Not just a majority, a large majority. 
In fact, 37% of Americans, according to this poll, say they strongly approve of the job Trump did as president and 20% somewhat approve. That is 57% of Americans who believe that. Including, by the way, 40% of black Americans, 57% of Hispanic Americans, 57% of suburban Americans. These are red flashing warning signs to the Biden administration and to the Biden campaign. It's a full-scale disaster area. Among the net pot, Donald Trump currently has a net favorable rating of 3% in this poll. As I say, Joe Biden is 11 points underwater. On the issues, Joe Biden is failing dramatically. He's barely beating Trump among young voters. According to a new Axios Generation Lab survey of voters between 18 and 34, Biden has 52% compared to 48% for Trump. If it's a close election with regard to young voters, Biden is toast. Not just that, the latest polls on illegal immigration show that overall, 61% of Americans believe illegal immigration is a very serious problem, and a majority of Americans now believe it's important to finish the Trump wall. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, I've been talking about my Helix Sleep mattress for years. I got to admit, last night was a very rough night. We had to take the dog to the hospital. Dog is okay, but didn't get a lot of sleep. The sleep I did get is thanks to my Helix Sleep mattress made just for me. If you haven't already checked out the Helix Elite Collection, you need to. Helix harnesses years of mattress expertise to offer a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite Collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress, because why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? I took that Helix quiz. I was matched with a firm but breathable mattress. I love it. My wife loves it. We're big Helix fans here at the Shapiro house. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I'm not sure that has ever happened. Helix is now offering 25% off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for my listeners. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code HELIXPARTNER25. It's their best offer yet. It's not going to last long. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code HELIXPARTNER25. With Helix, better sleep starts right now. Joe Biden has a massive problem on his hands, which presumably is, again, they think that they're going to be able to fix this problem, not by changing their policy, but by putting Joe Biden in different places. That's not going to work. This has been a a myth that Democrats have propagated since Barack Obama was president, that it wasn't a failure of policy that made them unpopular. It was a failure of communication. If only we did a better. Obama used to say this all the time. He used to say, it's not that Obamacare itself as a policy is unpopular. We we haven't communicated it right. We got to talk better. Got to do a better job talking. Well, first of all, a lie, not true. But second of all, even assume that's true. The person who has to do a better job talking is Joe Biden. That's the guy you're counting on to turn this ship around with his absolutely virtuosic command of rhetoric and the English language. Good luck to you. But that's what they're going to try. Karine Jean-Pierre says that Joe Biden is now heading down to the southern border to try to blame Republicans for the situation, which is weird because he is constantly saying now that he's going to sign executive orders to shore up the border. So which is it? This is an issue that the American people, majority of American people care about. And so what the president's going to do, he's going to go, uh, he's going to, uh, he's going to uh, go to the border, as I just mentioned, go to Texas, more specifically, Bronzeville, and he's going to hear directly from the Border Patrol agents. He's going to see for himself uh, to see what they've been doing on the ground. Remember, these these Border Patrol agents have been doing everything that they can uh, to secure the border to, with the resources that they have. They need more. They need more. Karine, you just said uh, that the president will, will take action on Thursday at the border. Well, I meant, I meant him going. I probably should clear that up here, right? I did. When I said it, I was like, oh, gosh. Um, 
him going is showing that he is taking is he's taking so he's this very seriously. No, no. What I'm saying, I'm saying, what I meant by that is like him to going is an action, right? He's he's taking this very seriously. He's going to go directly uh, to uh, you know to Brownsville, Texas, see exactly what's going on here directly from uh, the Border Patrol agents who who are doing the work, you know, uh, in the best way that they can with the resources that they have, but they need more. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. So she says. He's going to take action. And they're like, what action? Like, he's going to the border. That's not an action. By that definition, I fixed the border. I went there. Ooh, that probably fixed the problem. Not the way that actually executive action works. Again, this issue is not going away for Joe Biden. Dr. Phil, who's becoming a lot more openly political. I mean, I know Dr. Phil, I like him. He was on The View the other day. And uh, he pointed out that the Border Patrol is saying that the human trafficking problem is worse than ever. The View was, was just agog that Dr. Phil would say such things. My understanding is that you went to the southern border. Now, you're saying that you're going to give people facts. What did you take away from that experience, and what kind of reporting are you going to be bringing back from that experience? I'll tell you a fact I took away. I talked to the head of all the border guards down there, the the head of the union. I asked him straight up, kids are coming over the border with numbers written on them, phone numbers and addresses. Mm -hmm. Do we check those out? He said, well, we call them. Is it possible that we're sending them into known prostitution rings or sweatshops he said it's not possible it is absolute we are using american tax dollars to ship children into known prostitution and sweatshops some children well who knows okay we don't know i said are you so what kind of checking do they do so they they call the number uh and and say do you know about this child they say yes Will you receive them when they come? Yes. I said, is it possible that that's a prostitution ring? He said, we, ha- we know enough to know that it, in a number of cases, it has turned out to be absolute sex ring. Yeah, again, this sort of stuff is stuff that Americans do care about, and Joe Biden does not have a cure for it. So can Republicans snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? I mean, of course they can. So there's a lot of talk about a government shutdown this weekend. I have a question. What would be the purpose of such a thing? I know these are impolitic questions to ask sometime among conservatives, because the question for me is always, is this performative or is this substantive? And there's a difference. Sometimes performative politics is quite useful because you're actually changing the narrative on a subject. So, for example, it is performative politics to ship illegal immigrants up to Martha's Vineyard. That is obviously performative. It's not a solution to the problem. It is an attempt to shame Democrats for not having solved the problem and making them own the problem. The government shutdown. Are we talking about something performative? Like, what are you getting out of the shutdown? in terms of PR, or is it substantive? Meaning this is such an important thing that we need a fundamental restructuring and we are willing to shut down the government over it. And it seems like Republicans are doing neither performative nor substantive things with regard to the possibility of a government shutdown this weekend. Americans, by polling data, typically do not like government shutdowns and they don't understand what they are about. So if you're going to actually create a, even a partial government shutdown, people just kind of don't want to think about the government as the truth. They kind of want the government to just run and they don't want to think about it. And the more they think about it, the more annoyed they are with whoever is the person they believe is creating the holdup. So let's be real, first of all, about government spending. Every time there's a government shutdown, there's a lot of talk about government spending and we're going to fix the government spending with the government shutdown. Marginal changes, that ain't going to do it. When you do these government shutdowns and what you end up with is cutting 10 billion bucks from the budget, 20 billion, 100 billion dollars from the budget, if you could get that, which they won't. If If you could actually do that, 
That would not even remotely solve the underlying problem in the American economy, which is not spending $100 billion. It is spending $100 trillion on things like Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, unless you are willing to actually step into the fray and fix the underlying problem. All of this is performative. And then the question becomes performing for whom? So if the idea is that the Republican base is desperate for another government shutdown, I I don't see it. Two, do you think Donald Trump, as part of his reelect prospect, wants another government shutdown? Do you think that he wants people redirecting their ire away from Joe Biden and toward a Republican Congress? It seems to me not. So just a politically performative matter, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And again, I'm more in favor of cutting spending than virtually anybody who's talking about cutting spending right now, because I think we actually ought to restructure entitlements, because that's the serious driver of America's national debt. Not the post office in Hoboken. But in any case, according to The New York Times, congressional leaders have now failed to reach a deal on legislation to keep federal funding going past Friday. Republicans are insisting on policy dictates to the spending bill. Chuck Schumer said on Sunday that despite intense discussions, Republican recalcitrance was raising the prospect of a disruptive shutdown at midnight on Friday. So Joe Biden has now summoned congressional leaders to the White House on Tuesday to discuss that spending legislation, as well as the $95 billion foreign aid package for Ukraine and Israel. The Senate passed earlier this month. The Speaker of the House has refused to take that up at this point. Three consecutive times over the last six months, Congress has relied on those short-term stopgap spending bills passed by a bipartisan coalition of lawmakers. You'll remember that actually the best deal was negotiated by Kevin McCarthy, who was then summarily ousted in an idiotic coup that achieved nothing. I'm sorry, whatever you think of Kevin McCarthy, the idea that that was a strategic victory for conservatism, I would let, at some point, the evidence would be great. Like what, do we need evidence for propositions anymore? We just sort of say them. So apparently, a lot of the Republican members want Johnson to secure major cuts and policy changes that have no chance of enactment with Democrats in control of the Senate and the White House. And again, those major cuts, whenever the New York Times describes major cuts, understand they're not talking about major cuts. The real cuts would be the restructuring of the major entitlement programs in the United States. And no one is willing to touch that. I mean, Donald Trump is not willing to touch that. One of the reasons that he outflanked his compatriots in the Republican Party in 2016 is because many of them were saying we need to restructure entitlements. And Trump was like, not going to touch it. Got to keep him. Got to keep And that actually was a popular position with Americans who, when it comes to government spending, are always of two minds. One is, yes, we should definitely cut the government spending. The government spends way too much money. And the other mind is, no, not that. I didn't mean that thing. Okay, bottom line is, is this a smart political move for Congress to make in the middle of a presidential year? I think not. Meanwhile, the rant of the day, the stupid rant of the day goes to Joy Reid. We could do this nearly every day. But uh, Joy Reid decided to sound off on in vitro fertilization the other day because obviously Alabama has now declared via the Supreme Court that embryos have the status of protected humans, which raises questions about how IVF is to be performed and the preservation of frozen embryos, for example. And these are complex moral issues, no question about it. But leave it to Joy Reid to have the stupidest take of the day. So uh, here uh, here was Joy Reid talking about it. I have a couple of questions. Question number one. Who's the we? I mean, you're a federal officer. You're a United States senator. Are you saying the federal government needs more kids? Because I wasn't aware that there was a federal mandate for the government of the United States to demand an increase in population. Where does that mandate come from? Who's the we? The federal government needs more kids? For what? The United States has a population of north of 327 million people. Why do we need more kids? 
I mean, your party, Senator Tuberville, is the one screaming that 10 million immigrants, which I don't even know that that number even makes any sense because it doesn't, um, have streamed into the country since Joe Biden has been president. And you're claiming that that's too many people, that if more people come into the southern border, this is some sort of crisis because we, we've got too many people and we've got no more space and we can't afford more people. But now you're saying we need more kids? Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids? Why does the state of Alabama need more kids? More kids for what? There was a time when the state of Alabama absolutely needed more kids because, you know, Alabama was a slave state. And the mandate of the planter class in Alabama was for black women to produce more kids because those kids were property and they could work more kids and make more money on their plantations. What the F? So a few things. Number I mean, that's a, that's a very special rant there from from Joy Reid. Man, she, she is just she's whippersnapper smart. She, she is so bright. Let's begin with the immigration point. The reason that Republicans very often oppose immigration is not because they don't believe that the population of the United States needs to increase. It's because it matters where people are from and what their culture is and what they think about things. I know this is tough for Joy Reid to actually understand, but not all humans think the same things. So when you say that America needs more, yes, America does need more kids. In fact, virtually all major countries at this point need more children, especially to pay for all the programs that Joy Reid likes so much. Second, when you say that we need more kids, we don't mean that we want to enslave our children. We are saying that kids are innately good. It is good for people to have kids. I know this is a weird idea for so many people on the left, but, but like actually kids are wonderful. Kids are they're a giant pain in the ass and they are absolutely wonderful. So there's that, just on a pure human level. More human souls, good. Also, when you talk about the economics of the situation, you're not talking about enslaving the kids. You're talking about the fact that those people are going to produce more innovations more goods and services that make life better for everyone. But, you know, again, leave us a joy read to give the dumbest take in the land. Meanwhile, Gavin Newsom giving his own dumb take. It is, it is incredible that you see this very conflicting position on IVF from, from Democrats. One is IVF is really important because we need to let people have kids. And the other is people should kill kids. And the, the, these two positions are simultaneously held. So the question with regard to IVF for many conservatives in terms of how it is done, is, okay, so you are, you are now giving an embryo a shot at life, but you are doing so by perhaps discarding other embryos, which is to create a human life to dispose of it. And so that's a real problem. And so what you're trying to weigh is the upside of creating a new human life with the downside of killing other human lives. And that's a really complex moral problem that has real ramifications. On the left... You have the simultaneous idea that IVF is an, is an unbridled good because it creates a human life, agree. But also, if you wish to kill it, no problem. Which is, I guess, solves your way out of the IVF dilemma, but gets you into some pretty murky waters elsewhere. Here is Gavin Newsom saying he supports unrestricted abortion. Do you think there is a week that access to abortion should be banned? I'm gonna, I think we've established that firmly in the context of what states are doing, like California, where we establish a constitutional right to access abortion. And at the end of the day, I think that's a determination for women at and their doctors. Week? As it relates to the issues in California, we've established that firmly in the state constitution. As it relates to getting into the debate around late-term abortion, that's a complete canard. Amazing, amazing stuff there from Gavin Newsom. But again, this is a party that has some real problems with the definition of basic concepts ranging from men and women to human life 
itself. Alrighty, coming up, we'll get to the situation in Ukraine and Russia. Conflicting reports over exactly what killed Alexei Navalny. We'll get into that momentarily. First, if you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. 